Hey folks, this is Abe Shreve. Welcome to the Choose Difficult podcast. The path to success is not easy, and here we explore the stories of those who choose difficult and change the world they live in. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is the final episode of season one. I don't know how many out there have a podcast of their own or have started their own publication, but it is a lot of work, and this has just been such an exciting time. We made the decision to break this up into seasons where we do 11 episodes and then we do a recap. It gives us a great opportunity to stop and reflect back on so many of the little nuggets of gold that we have learned. And what we've learned in this first three months, in the first 11 episodes, is that you and I are out of excuses. We have had amazing people on this show that have started out with really difficult childhoods, all the odds stacked against them. We have talked to people that have faced incredible discrimination. We have talked to people that have overcome all the odds. And we've talked to people that have just made a huge mark in the world. And they have been willing to share with us their great lessons. They've been generous with their time. Today, in this episode, we're going to go back and recap some of the highlights, some of the little nuggets, the things that we want to make sure you get. What an amazing opportunity it was to launch our podcast, to to plant our flag in the world, starting with none other than the amazing Bob Taylor, the founder and owner of Taylor Guitars. You can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want. Life is a series of choices. You trade your money for an education. You trade working for a person for your time or maybe working for yourself. You know, oh yeah, you can start a business if you want, but you might not get paid. So yep. you can have anything you want, anything. Don't complain to me because you can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want. No matter what, you're going to do somebody some good. And the fact is, is that everybody is serving as an example. You're serving as an example, whether you know it or not. So it's going to be a good example or a bad example. And we have a little bit of reach and, I, and we like to serve as a good example. There was about three times when I wanted to just like sell this company. One of the things that kept me in business was I couldn't bear the thought of running into someone at the grocery store and them saying, so how's that guitar thing going? And I would have to say, well, I had to quit that. I, I, every time I thought of that, it was so abhorrent to me. I, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle having to say those words to somebody, so I just got back to my bench and worked. Bob is a shining example of grit and tenacity and an unwillingness to give up on the dream and the vision. Bob's incredibly generous, and he was the very first person I really heard say, you can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want, which is really shining a light on the importance of claiming a focus and applying all your energy into that focus. Next, we move to one of my childhood basketball heroes, the great Thurl Bailey. One of the things that Thurl shared with us that I really loved was the very first time a coach looked at him and said, I see potential in you. He said it changed his life. What changed my life was when he told me that he saw potential. He said, I see so much potential in you. I see what you can be. And it just gave me a sense even today, of the lens that we see people through, right? I mean, you have one coach that, that knows what he wants, and it's not 
you know, I, I'm not a part of that plan. But you have another coach who says, I'm patient. I think this kid has something, something special that I can work with that can help me down the road and help him down. As Coach Balvano taught us when we were cutting down the nets and feeling really weird about it, sometimes you have to, you have to put yourself in these uncomfortable situations or conversations to, to grow. And that's where growth comes from, right? Growth comes from failure. Growth comes from being in uncomfortable spots and trying to figure out how to manage those and how to deal with them. Uh, and that's not an easy thing to do. A lot of people don't want to get uncomfortable. They just like the status quo and they want to be, they're safe. And that's okay for them if, if that's what they choose to do. But there's so much more out there to achieve and accomplish. So my basketball life was just that. It was a part of my life. It didn't define me. But it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about the real world because playing NBA basketball was was an ideal world. It wasn't the real world. real world is, is is now what we're trying to teach people about business and success and, and those kind of things and raising a family, dealing with all kinds of things that we deal with in our lives. It is hard not to pick favorites. The truth is, I have favorite moments in every one of these episodes. These people are just so amazing, but. What Thurl's talking about when he when he's talking about his coach, Jim Valvano, having them cut down the nets is, he, he tells us in this episode, and I want to encourage you to go listen to it, that they barely, barely made it into the playoffs. Of course, I am talking about the NC State team that defied all odds and won the national championship. They barely made it in. But early in that season, Coach Valvano would have them practice winning the national championship. He said it was awkward. They would stand on top of the rim. They'd cut down the net. But when they showed up in that arena to play the University of Houston with Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler, no one thought they could win, but they felt like they were home. Amazing, amazing coaching. Well, next we move to one of my partners in business, a longtime friend, an incredibly talented person. I'm speaking of none other than Jay Papazan, co-author of The One Thing, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, among others. I think that a lot of the struggle for people isn't that they're not making progress. It's just that it's not happening fast enough for them. But I mean, I think a lot of people vastly overestimate what they can get done in one year, but they exponentially underestimate what they could accomplish in four or five. If you just stick with it, the journey, that four or five years, it feels like forever. Like you think about Abe, I want you to give me a five-year plan to go from you know here to here. It feels like forever. It's really hard to connect with yeah. five years from now. But that is kind of the secret. It's more about dealing with our impatience. It's like money. Compound interest doesn't work overnight. It works no. over time. But we can grow at that same kind of compounding if we're willing to make the same investments day in and day out with an eye towards getting better. Think big, start small. I think a lot of people get frustrated. Um, they are growing. They are on the journey, um, but they just haven't hit the elbow of the curve yet, right? It is exponential, but with any anything, growth, success, even failure, before you get to the elbow of the curve where things really start to ramp up, it feels like nothing's happening. Yeah. And so I would just say, um, if you are uncomfortable, not to the point of just being abject misery, right? But you're uncomfortable, not miserable. There is a difference. Um, you're probably in a growth stage and just focus on growing, right? Yeah. And learning and learning what you need to learn and building the habits you need to build. And all I can promise them is the next plateau has just as many discomforts, but they're the kind that you control. 
There's a reason that so many companies are seeking to have Jay come and speak to them. And what an honor and blessing it was to be able to spend this time with him and just have him share his personal journey all the way back to when he was working on Bill Phillips' book, Body for Life, all the way up through writing The Millionaire Real Estate Agent and The One Thing and all the lessons in between. Next, we move to one of my dearest friends, one of my partners in business, the incredible Terry Gurno. Leadership is science. Leadership is a noun, right? It's the stuff that you need to know as a, as a leader, but, but leading is an, it's a verb. It's an action. It's something that you do in real time. And what the thing that, that I learned when I was having these conversations with all my friends and people I was meeting that were in leadership is they went to the seminar, they read the book, they made the outline, they had it down, they had their bullet points and all that kind of stuff. But when they started working with people, that's when it broke down because people are different. This is where the art comes in. It's realizing that it, you're not trying to get an outline into somebody's life. Really, you're, you're leading these people that have different ideas, that process information differently, that see the world differently, that react differently to, to problems and challenges and the way they communicate. And it's because of that, there's this massive breakdown. And that's why I called my book, Leading is Art. It really is art. People have a passion for something, whether it's a product or a service. They want to get this into the hands of other people so they experience that passion is behind that. And then they start a business. And then they move away from that passion or that why, right? They want to make people's lives better. They want to impact people. They want to change the world, something like that too. We have to make so many things. We have to deliver so many products. What happens is we trade mission for function pretty soon. It's not driven by the things that we love and the difference we want to make. We're driven by the role that we've taken on. And that's why when you talk to people and you say, hey, so what do you do? People will say, well, I'm a real estate agent or I'm a business coach. I'm a salesman. I'm a teacher, right? Instead of saying what they really are, what they really do. So, I mean, I had to go through this personally. When someone asked me, what do you love? I didn't know. And I had to go through this process where I finally asked myself these questions and went through this process. When I was done, what I realized was my mission in life, my focus is I help people win in work and life. That's what I do. That's what I get up for every day. Now, I can do that anywhere, anytime. So when you have that kind of focus and you maintain that, and that's the other thing is a lack of focus. And I think the other one is the inability to keep their company focused. Because pretty soon, if we're not focused and we're not you know, letting people know, hey, this is what we're about, then they're going to get caught up in their function. And they're going to think, well, I, just, I make a product. That's what I do. I just make a product. You know, I love that story about John F. Kennedy visiting NASA. And he, there was a janitor. He was mopping the floor. John F. Kennedy said, excuse me, sir, I'm just wondering, so what do you do around here? And he says, I'm putting a man on the moon and he was mopping the floor. It's that kind of focus, right? When you can bring everybody in and they realize they're a part of a bigger picture no matter where they are in the company and they have this sense of purpose, I think that's the other one, is, is that they don't keep the company focused. They don't constantly remind them and because that creates culture. A lot of people say, hey, we want to create this culture. We're going to do these things to create a culture, but really a culture is an outcome of being very intentional about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Well, in this episode, Terry told us that when he was 10 years old, his father abandoned the family, that he graduated from high school functionally illiterate, and that it was a mentor that really helped him understand that it's not that he lacks intelligence, it's got to be something else. And Terry discovered he was dyslexic. Amazing. I, I, I tell the story in that episode that when I was wanting to fly Terry out to meet with me, I'd read his book, and I wanted to see if he was interested in being a coach with me, being my coach, actually. 
And the day that worked best for me to fly him out, he couldn't come. He was speaking to the executive team at Boeing on leadership. He would go on and tell an amazing story about his march to become an Iron Man and the relationship between he and his son and how he had to face insurmountable odds and the threat of failure at every minute of that experience. But I probably listened to that one more than, than any podcast episode done by anyone. Next, we move to Matt Townsend. Matt's a relationship communication expert. He's written an amazing book called Starve Stuff. Matt is a go-to for me. He's someone that I often will reach out to when I need coaching insight, understanding. And Matt does in this episode what Matt always does. He just rains gold and he does it in a way that you cannot help but just enjoy listening to him speak. Our tendency is to believe that we are the anomaly. And we believe that in our success. We believe that in our failure. We believe that in our our oddities, in our pains. But that which is most personal is most universal. The biggest fear any human has is probably a universal fear. And it's probably four basic fears usually. It's am I lovable? Am I capable? Do I belong? And am I safe? And when we understand that pretty much every human on earth is, is questioning lovability, capability, belonging, and safety, then you can start to pretty quickly cut through all the other stuff. And I call it the stuff because, I, I mean, I've seen people say they want a divorce over lettuce. I've seen people say they want a divorce over uh, a purse. And what's funny is when you get in and start cutting it down to its most basic elemental part. It is really nothing about lettuce or a purse. It's always about lovable, capable, belonging, and safe. Those are four feelings we we can't avoid. And when we can't avoid them and we're not feeling that feeling, it reacts to us and our fight or flight kicks in. And then we just go off of nature, by the way, which is also natural, right? So part of the hardest thing we're trying to stop with people is the most natural thing that they do. And by the way, the only way to override it would be to almost do something unnatural and get into the higher part of their brain, get into their higher purpose, and uh, which, by the way, is weirdly easier, believe it or not, in a divorce setting. Like the minute a couple is actually divorcing, that's one thing. But the minute we're talking about what's best for their kids long term is another thing. So universality is really powerful, right? And it also normalizes, right? So typical therapy 101 is normalized. Normalize, normalize. And when you normalize behavior, uh, it, it kind of turns you into the hero of your own life. You now can normally take it over. Anxiety is normal, right? So if, if you're a child going to school for the first time, it's normal to be anxious. If you're about to shoot the free throw to win the game, it's normal to feel anxious. If you have stage fright, it's normal. So sometimes what our brain tends to do is it tries to pull us to these extremes. And then the, in the extreme, it can justify the extreme. It can justify extreme behavior, extreme reactivity. But when we normalize and we kind of just make it normal for you to feel that way because you're a high sensitive or you're more anxious or you're, you only learned how to fight this way or talk this way, that's normal for your behavior. Then what we can do is kind of pull people back more to the normal middle. So what are the good behaviors of normal conversation instead of what are the extreme behaviors of abnormal situations? So STARVED is an acronym that stands for seven basic needs of all humans. So this is what makes us most universal. Every human has safety issues. We need to feel safe. 
physically safe so we're not going to be harmed, socially safe so we won't be embarrassed, emotionally safe so we can share what's in our heart, financially safe so we have enough money, spiritually safe so we have the same value system. So we have to have safety. When we don't have safety, think about it. If you're not safe with somebody, how do you communicate? You don't or you fight. So we have to have safety. Second basic need is trust. We have to trust each other. To trust, I teach you have to trust two things. I have to trust your character so you're honest and decent, and you have to trust your competency so you know what you're doing. It's not enough to just have a really awesome neighbor and bring them into your business, but they're clueless. It's not enough. To trust your neighbor that's going to be in your business, they got to have character and competency. Third basic need is appreciation. Everyone wants to be appreciated differently. Someone I call, I, I use senses. So some of us are hearers. We need to hear we're awesome. Some are seers. They need to see it. Some need touch. Don't do that. You're a business person. Stay away from touching. Um, some need just time. They're sensors. They want your time and your attention, your focus. So everyone wants to be appreciated differently. Everybody wants respect. Everybody wants to be revered, right? They want to be seen as something that's important. So you'll listen to my opinion. You'll take my ideas into consideration. So safety, trust, appreciation, respect. These stands for validation. Every human being wants to be validated. It doesn't mean you have to agree with me. Just go with me. Go walk with me in my experience and see where I'm coming from. E stands for encouragement. Everybody needs to feel like they're encouraged. Encouragement is a really cool word because it has the root word courage in it. Root word courage comes from the Latin word core, the French word cur, which means heart. So to encourage somebody means you're in their heart. The best boss I've ever had knew what my dreams were, and he encouraged them, and he facilitated it. He's the guy that got me to be the youngest presenter at Franklin Covey. I was hired in his department, and I made a win-win agreement with him at Franklin Covey, and within four months, he had me moved to the department I wanted to be in so that I could become a trainer and a presenter, and he facilitated that. So encouragement's the sixth need, and the last need is dedication. Everybody needs to feel like the people around them are dedicated to them. I, if I go to your company and I'm standing in front of you and you answer the phone to somebody on the phone and you don't talk to me, I don't think you're dedicated to the walk-in client. You're dedicated to the phone-in client. So those seven needs fell starved. And the basic rule is when those needs are met, life is pretty good. We less smoke. When the needs aren't met, we start to starve. And the rule very simply is starved people starve people. When I don't feel safe, I'll probably disrespect you. When you're disrespected, you probably won't trust me. When you don't trust me, I'm not going to appreciate you. And we start to justify our fights with each other. And off we go. Fight or flight kicks in, and it's game on. Matt's starved model is, in many ways, the foundation of my coaching philosophy. It runs just lightly under the surface of all that I do in business and what governs my relationships in my personal life. And you owe it to yourself and anyone else that you want to have a close relationship to go back and listen to that and look into Matt's material. He is uh, this, this idea that we, we have a tendency to get hijacked by the smoke of a fire, right? We, we argue about things, about the cost of things, and you know, you do this and you do that. But if we want to fix where our relationships are broken, it won't be in discussing the issues. It will be an understanding the root cause, which is the fire. That actually is what starved is. It's the seven most basic needs that all relationships require, safety, trust, 
appreciation, respect, validation, encouragement, dedication. And if for a moment you're hearing that and you think that sounds a little fluffy, I ask you this. Is there anyone in your life right now that you don't have the relationship with that you would like to? Because there's a high likelihood there is an area that I just named that they could use some assistance. And Matt's model lays out beautifully how to do that. It was amazing. We're next joined by Jeff Woods. Jeff is the president of a company called Productive. They are charged with taking the principles in the book, The One Thing, out into the world and helping people succeed through the better use of their time. Jeff is a business partner of mine. He's a friend. He is not short on energy. And what I love in what Jeff shared with us is most people know him as this very polished podcast host and this incredibly smooth speaker. But we got personal with Jeff in this episode. He shared with us his struggles, his growth moments, and he shared with us how you know something really is a value. Your values are tested in moments where you either have to honor them or violate them. It even happened to me this last week. Our largest corporate client, one of the largest steel manufacturing companies in the world, we work directly with the chairman of the board. They are driving the principles of the one thing throughout the organization. It has been such a, an amazing experience. We were facilitating a goal-setting retreat for them to cast a vision for the business for the next 10 years. And one of the goals that they needed to set around based on their core values was a sense of counterbalance. What would extraordinary counterbalance look like pouring into your people in the next 10 years? And things got really ugly. It turned out that the leader of this organization doesn't actually value counterbalance. And his leaders were pleading for him to listen. And he was shutting him down. And I had one of the worst night's sleep I've had in a long time realizing that I wasn't sure if we could continue being in business with them. This is literally last week. And the next morning I picked up the phone, I called him, he's in India. And we had a very frank and difficult conversation where I told him before we even got into business together, if he was unwilling to live the one thing and support the principles personally and professionally, it wouldn't be a fit. And I said, in this moment, we value counterbalance. And if you cannot support that, we will not be able to continue doing business together. I was willing to walk away from our largest customer because it violated our values. And in that moment, his wall came down and he kind of explained more about where his head was really at. And I got his commitment to setting some goals around this. And it was one of the most remarkable things I've ever facilitated watching what happened that next day as his leaders cast a vision for what it would look like and he backed it and, and committed to doing it. So your values aren't your values unless when they are challenged, you are willing to make sacrifices so that they can actually be your values. Everything that I feel I've achieved really comes down to a result of purposefully seeking mentorship and purposefully being a great mentee. There's a lot to unpack there. I would have ended up a CPA had it not been for the partner that said you belong in sales. I wouldn't have ended up with Xerox. That tech company CEO said, I can't afford you. You need to go work for Xerox. Wouldn't, like, all the dominoes would not have fallen. First, it was entrepreneurial. I just happened to surround myself with good people. Then it became purposeful. I demanded to surround myself with great people. And that was the lead domino. That's seeking mentorship. The other side of it I've learned is being a great mentee. I remember having a conversation with one of my mentors and I asked him, why do you keep meeting with me? And he said, because you give me an amazing return on the investment of my time. 
And I said, what do you mean? And he said, most of the time when people approach me and they ask for guidance, I always say yes. But before I invest any time in them, I give them a task. First thing he told me is meet me at Starbucks at 6.45 a.m. this Sunday. He goes, most people wouldn't have showed up. Not only did you show up, you were early. And he said, every single time we meet, I give you guidance and you do it. You don't complain. You don't argue. You do what I suggest that you do. You circle back. You tell me you did it. You tell me what you learned. You thank me and you ask for more. You give me an amazing return on the investment of my time. And that has been a theme throughout my life that has gotten me to, to where I am right now. And I, I think it's easy to look at a person that you perceive to be successful and put them on a pedestal and wish that you could be where they could be. But what you don't see is what they did to get there, how they were appropriate in their moments. And for me, it came down to surrounding myself with great people. And when I asked for guidance, I put it into action. One of the things I learned from Jeff as we were talking is that he is constantly looking at how to get better, constantly looking at who he spends time with, and constantly looking at who he can help I mean, he got into business with Gary Keller and with Jay Papasan because he was moved by a speech he heard Jay give and he approached him and said, how can I help you? And he helped them for a long time before they actually had the discussion to work together. Really powerful. Some really powerful lessons there. Now I'm going to take you to Fresno. We're going to meet Amy and Amber, the ladies of the talk team. They own a company that does speech therapy and behavioral therapy for kids. It's a pretty big company, and they've achieved a ton. What I love about their story is their learning journey. And what they learned is that you've got to be willing to take some risk and, in Amy's words, be brave and move slow. Go slow and be brave. Because, honestly, I think for us, going slow is part of what was good. And when we've tried to move quickly through things, we tend to have those problems, mm -hmm. like, idea ADHD and those kind of things. But when we go slow and then just the idea that if you're going to lead, if you're going to be in charge, you have to be, in my mind, the bravest person in the room. You don't have to be the smartest, but you have to be the most willing to screw up. You have to be the most willing to say, I don't know, but I'm going to learn. And, you know, I don't know what that number is, or I don't know how to talk to an insurance company, but I'm going to figure out how. And I'm going to be tenacious in figuring out the answer so that I can then pass it on to the right person. But I need to know. You can't be scared. Or at least if you are, you've got to be really good at taking a deep breath and putting it away and stepping into the unknown. Because that's not anyone else's job. That's my job. My job is to figure out the solution when technology is broken or when our 401k contributions don't make sense. They don't, they don't need to solve that problem. That's my job. And so you have to do the yuckier stuff because it's your job. I agree 100% with that. It is the job of a leader to own all the difficult stuff. And of course, to build other leaders. And Amy and Amber are shining examples of that. They really shared some important things for any business owner to hear. Now we get to move to Monty Powell and Anna Wilson. These are award-winning performers and award-winning songwriters. When I told my daughter that Monty Powell wrote one of her very favorite Keith Urban songs, she about lost she about lost herself. 
But as you get to know Monty and Anna as a couple and see how they work together, it's really insightful and inspiring. I asked them, what do you do when you're in a writing session and you have a disagreement? Because I know people that have broke up partnerships because they can't agree on creative endeavors. And I really liked what they said about this. It never leaves the writing room. And it never leaves mutual respect. That's the main container and safe place. Creating at all requires a safe place for you to be vulnerable, say the things out loud, quieten your own self-critic, even if you're the only one there. But when you're collaborating in a room with several people, it has to be a safe place. I can't tell you the number of times that all of us, you know, have sat down to write a song and it's like, what should we write about today? Well, I just broke up with my girlfriend. Okay. They're not going to tell you that unless they feel safe, you know. So creating this container where the ideas are the competition, but the people are not the competition is really important to us. So we will absolutely compete our ideas to the death, but we're never competing against each other. We have absolute mutual respect for the other one's ability to do it with me, without me, on their own, with other people that I don't even know and bring it back and blow my mind. So having that platform, I think, makes the internal competition for ideas a safe place. The thing for me is like you have to be passionate about what your idea is or what it is you're trying to accomplish and you've got to kind of put your whole soul into it. And if you're not doing that, not only you're not being true to yourself, you're not being true to the process. You're not being true to the end result. You're not even being true to the person you're collaborating with, even if they strongly disagree with you. And at the end of the day, you have to also which is the hardest thing for me is because I get so passionate and so like, this is what I would do if I was the only person in the room and I think this is right. But you really have to put on your listening device. Then there comes a point once you're in that safe place and you have a collaborator, it's like, okay, are you done now? Did you get it all out? Did you say everything you had to say? And then you can trust that person to know that they heard you. Whether they agree with you or not, is really not what the passion that you're bringing to it. It's like, I just want to be heard. I want to get it all out. I want to make my point. I want you to hear my point. And if you still disagree that it's not the right way to go, fine. Then let me hear yours. And that's where the listening comes in. And then you can really start to sort of find that balance between your passion and what's important to you and where your line in the sand is. You know, if this doesn't go into the song or whatever, I'm going to step away from this. Or I understand why you think that we need to pivot and turn over here and go this direction at this juncture because it accomplishes X. And so I think there's a blending of sort of your passion and your energy and your vision, but also being able to find a place for that once that has had its outlet to listen to the other side. I mean, that's really where collaboration, the magic of it can happen. Those are lessons that can be brought right into business creation and business building and and collaboration. This idea that you gather people, you have them bring all their strengths. You come together with an understanding that and a respect level that anyone here could go do this on their own. But we're going to do something special together. It was really fun. And 
It was fun to hear how much of their creative process could be directly applied to business building. Really powerful. Well, now we go to Michigan, where we pick up things with the incredible Shannon Went. Shannon's company, Choose Life, started as a little Etsy company, and last year did over a million dollars gross revenue. And she is someone who started her company by sharing the thing that brought her out of her darkest hour. Shannon was the second person that I ever heard say, you can have anything you want, but you can't have everything. And her lessons in life brought her to this understanding that I have to make choices, not between everything that's good and bad. Those are the easy ones. It's the choices between what's good and what's better. Having to make intentional choices and sacrifices. And the lesson that I really want my kids to understand is, you know, even as a family, we can have anything, but we can't have everything. We probably can't have a clean house and delicious dinners and, you know, thriving businesses that, that send us on fun vacations. We can't have all of those things at the same time. We have to make choices. And really what I've come to understand is that, you know, trying to manage a growing family and a growing business isn't so much trying to keep this work-life balance like a, a set of scales. It's a lot more like a seesaw. And whatever those like four-sided seesaws are, it's kind of like that. <laughs> but it's really some seasons, some days, some weeks where some aspect of my life has to kind of get left up in the air because I've got to put my feet on the ground with, you know, work or life or family, whatever it is. And then things can kind of shift and, you know, maybe work gets left up in the air for a little bit. And I've got my feet down on the ground with whatever project, whatever thing the kids need to work on. And then things might shift. So I think understanding that balance, the give and take, you can't have everything, making sacrifices intentionally. If we're going to sacrifice a, you know, an immaculately clean house, well, at least we have a lot of fun going hiking and being outdoors, something like, you know, understanding that it's an intentional, it's not just default. Well, I just, you know, don't like housekeeping. So I'm just not, no, it, it is a choice. Like we're making a choice to spend time together outdoors instead of spending Saturday cleaning. There's always a creative solution that we just have to be willing to make the right kind of sacrifices, the right choices. There's things that we have to give up in order to get what we want. And it's not always going to look perfect, but we're going to get to where we're going because we're making intentional choices. And I think the ability to make those choices, the ability to give up good things for better things is something I'm incredibly grateful to my mom for. And Shannon really shined a light on a principle that we don't talk near enough about, which is delayed gratification. We live in a world where we want everything and we want it right now. And in many cases we can have it, but that's not really how the best things in life are built. You've got to lean in. You've got to sacrifice here to get more later. And in Shannon's life, it's paying off in really a big way. She's blessing a lot of people's lives, not just those in her company and the, the more than 40 people that work in her organization, but those that actually utilize their products. Amazing. Well, over a decade ago, I read a book called Fierce Conversations. And next we go to the very fun Susan Scott. There is something quite marvelous when a leader says, I need help. I don't have all the answers. I need your help. Everybody circles the wagon. Everybody does. And nobody thinks less 
of the leader. They think more of the leader and, and they want, or, or if anybody who says that, we need to be able to say that. And even if I can just circle back to the point about vulnerability, there again, I completely understand the, the meaning that most people place on that idea. But I, again, be a bit contrarian. I think we're more vulnerable when we withhold what we're really thinking and feeling because nothing is going to change. We're in that gradually, gradually, and eventually we could arrive at a really horrible suddenly. So I don't, and that to me is a vulnerability. I'm vulnerable to things happening out there in the world because I have not disclosed what I'm really thinking. You know that saying, it's lonely at the top? If it is, that's the leader's problem because it doesn't need to be. It shouldn't be. You know, when people come into the company, they come in bringing all of their talent and their skills and wanting to help. And in Sud Turkle's book, Working, he described a young woman named Nora who graduated from a prestigious college and is hired by a big firm and comes in all loaded for bear, you know, and then she discovers very quickly that all that she has, it would not be welcome because it would wreck the curve for the people around her, that her ideas are really not that welcomed. And she very quickly absented her spirit from her work. That has stayed with me all these years. I mean, I probably read that 25 years ago. And when we don't recognize that our employees have the desire to help and go to them for help, then we're missing out on a huge resource. And by the same token, we have some employees who don't necessarily want to help. And we realize, I don't think, I don't think we need you. You know, I mean, I'm going to make you available to industry. What do you want your life to be about? Because, you know, how we spend our days, this is Annie Dillard, again, another literary figure. How we spend our days is how we spend our lives. How are you spending your days? And do you want to keep doing that day after day? Or do you want to have a different experience? So I think it's kind of the big, the big question, you know, that's on the table. I could have spoke to Susan for hours had she had the time available. In fact, when we filmed this, she was in her treehouse on a mountaintop, on an island, outside of Washington State. It was amazing and her experience is so vast. One of the things though that I think that she brings to the table that's so critical is we have to know how to talk about difficult things. And she has these, she has wonderful models for how to get into difficult conversations, which she calls fierce conversations and how to do it in a way that both are heard. There's a common language, there's common understanding and there's an objective that you can, you can reach. And we heard that multiple times in this season, that conversations are the key to growth and progression and moving forward with people. Now we move to a gal whose little real estate company, just little real estate company, last year sold just under 1,100 homes. And I loved Sarah Reynolds' authenticity, her willingness to share with us where she struggles, and then some of those amazing lessons. How do you raise leaders? How do you raise them? Because sometimes they're a real pain, but you harness them correctly, you give them enough runway, and they'll do amazing things. I think the greatest leaders are hard, can be hard-headed. And so what can happen sometimes is like you teach them, you're teaching them, but they don't care what you said. 
like not they don't care but they want to learn it themselves and it will speak to them more by learning it themselves and so like teach like letting people fail because that you know that in the long run you know i had a, a conversation with um my amazing chief growth officer who has just been amazing and he he said to me we have to let this we have to let this leader fail and I looked at him and I said you're telling me right now that the results of third quarter don't matter I was like because I can fix this right now and I and I will make it happen and we will hit our goal third quarter because I'm going to fix it he looked at me and he said I'm asking you not to and I was like okay and he goes because I care about us hitting the goal five years from now and he was like and you have a pattern of jumping in and fixing it for everyone and meanwhile, they're not learning. And this is why you're burnt out because you're jumping in. And he's like, we have to let them fail. And if they don't rise up, they're not meant to be here. Putting myself around people that will speak life into me and, and will point things out and uh, will tell me like, you know, you're made for greatness and, and believe in that and, and speak up. You have a lot of amazing things to share and, just making sure I'm around people that want to amplify who I am and see who I am, not by, not in judgment, you know, um, because I am, I, I do run different than the green, I would say. Um, and so those that like love that, you know, and, and say like, speak up, you know, we need, we need those to speak up. And so, especially the young mamas, there's not a lot of young moms that lead businesses like mine. Sarah is a serial entrepreneur. I could identify with her on so many levels. Work is the drug of choice. And from a very young age, she learned how to just lean in and do whatever was required. One of the things that I really learned a lot from Sarah was embracing the struggle and going through the pain of getting off the clock for a season. She really talks really well about counterbalance. It's a grind all week long, but comes Saturday and Sunday, she takes measures so that she belongs all to her family. And then come Sunday night when the kids go to bed, it's back on. Well, lest you think it's time for us to take a break, it isn't. We already are working on a packed season two. And we have prepared incredible guests and incredible episodes to continue to help bring to the world the stories of amazing people that choose difficult, face difficulty, and lean into it and change the world they live in. We have New York Times bestselling authors, we have titans of industry, we have folks that are moms and dads, and while they are incredibly successful in business, they are also succeeding at home. There are lessons there for all of us, and I hope that you'll join us in season two. This has been an amazing experience so far. It's a passion project for us. It's something we really enjoy doing. And if you found value along the way with us, please subscribe, share with others. It really helps us in our mission to reach out to the world and share the stories of these incredible people. We want to help as many people as we can. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope you've enjoyed our time together, and I hope you'll join us next time as we continue to explore the stories of extraordinary individuals who choose difficult. <laughs>